What's up, family? Thank you for tuning in to the Dream Nation podcast. My name is Casanova. I'll be your host, and I'm excited to be bringing to you entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and trailblazers from around the world. Stay locked in with us because we're about to go on a journey that will change your life. Hey, Dream Builder. This episode is powered by Design Crowd. Design Crowd is a website that helps entrepreneurs, startups, and small businesses get creative and quality designs from custom logos to business cards and even web designs. There's a community of over 900,000 designers from all across the world that's ready to bring your idea to life in as little as ours. So head on over to designcrowd.com forward slash dream nation and see what all the hype is about. What's up, Dream Builder? We are back again, and we have an episode that I'm excited to bring to you because if you're someone who is looking to get your message out there to the world, if you're looking to transform through your story, through your expertise, you have to know how to communicate. And for today's episode, we're going to talk all about the power of networking, communication, and transformation. So without further ado, please help me in welcoming my friend, Mr. Matthew Pollard, to the show. Matthew, you want to go ahead and say what's up to Dream Nation. G'day, mate. I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me on. And hello to everyone that's listening or, or watching along today. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I always love to make sure that I give the proper introduction. And the way that I do that is I compare us as thought leaders, change makers, entrepreneurs to superheroes. And the reason being is because we're constantly flying around the world. I know that you are. And you're putting on your cape and you're trying to solve some of the world's biggest problems. Now, we know the man known as Superman. And he wears that S on the chest and he flies all around. But a lot of the times we can't really identify who exactly is Clark Kent. And so I would say the same thing to you is a lot of people probably know who the Superman is, as in Matthew Pollard, on the outside. But behind it, when you take off that cape, who is that Clark Kent behind the man? You know, it's a great question. I, and I think that I do my best to try and wear my heart on my sleeve a little bit. And, and the reason being, I spend my life helping introverts realize that they're not second-class citizens, that their path to success is just different to that of an extrovert. So in truth, my, I spend most of my life making sure that people understand that every Superman you see out there is actually just a Clark Kent, and Clark Kent's always imperfect. So one of the things that I, I have people say often when I do podcast interviews is, oh, if you say something you don't like, just let me know. We can do it again, and we can edit it out. And I'm like, no, it's that imperfection that rings true to people that are watching that says, I don't have to be perfect to be amazing on podcast, to speak from stage, to be great, a great leader. And, you know, for me, I'm, I'm, I was horribly introverted in late high school. I, I had a reading speed of a sixth grader. I actually got diagnosed with this thing called Erlen syndrome for the video listeners. It basically means I put on a pair of funny colored lenses and miraculously I can learn to read, but not like everyone else. I could start the process of learning to read. But you can imagine being the, the person that felt like he was the slow kid, funny colored lenses, bad acne. Gosh, I was scared of my own shadow. And I think that this is really important for people to know. Because what happens is we see, we were talking offline about, you know, our friends like Ivan Meisner. And Ivan uh, is an introvert, but he founded BNI, the world's largest networking group, 10,000 membership groups across the globe. Yet he's an introvert and people think introverts can't network. People like Zig Ziglar, probably most, one of the w most well-known speakers and sales trainers in the world. And yet 
He's an introvert and people talk about how they can't sell as an introvert. They can't lead as an introvert. We've got to stop putting those barriers in front of ourselves. So if you think about who Clark Kent is, Clark Kent is the real version of this introvert. So sure, people see a really polished person. Hopefully you see a really polished person on an interview. But in truth, that comes from practice, planning and preparation, not from natural ability. And anybody that's listening that feels like they just can't do it, I think you'll find both of our personal stories, neither of us had everything lined up where we were guaranteed success. As a matter of fact, we kind of had the cards stacked against us. But the truth was systems planning when process and an unwillingness to accept defeat really got us to where we are today. And I think for me, if you're asking who I really am, I think Clark Kent's much more powerful than Superman. Mm, I love it. I love it. And I'm ready to tap into all of this. The first thing I want to know is at what point did you decide you were going to take control? Because you said you hated your own shadow. What was the turning point for you where you said, hey, I got to get from behind the scenes and get out in front of this thing so I'm not living in fear? You know, I think I've always been unwilling to accept defeat. I mean, the thing was, and I I have a mother that would not stop to find a solution. Like I was misdiagnosed as dyslexic right up until I was 16. And everyone said, well, he's just not applying himself. And she could see I was working incredibly hard. And I actually think it was that lesson. I found a pair of glasses that miraculously allowed me to learn to read. Now, if you can imagine, if I had have accepted defeat, if my mother had have accepted defeat for me, like a lot of parents do, unfortunately, they, they just can't find the solution. My, my mum was a, focused on reading as much as she could to try and find an answer and something just popped up in the country at the exact right time. I was lucky. But unless we were willing to keep searching and not willing to accept defeat, I wouldn't have even been able to graduate high school, really. I mean, because of those glasses, with a lot of hustle and hard work, by the way, it's not, you know, I know we all talk about things like the secret. I'm just going to wish it so. No. Wishing it so, sure, know what you want, that's important, but not without great amounts of work and hustle will you be able to make it possible. Now, we talk about hustle all the time, but without systems, it's just a lot of times beating a dead horse. So the glasses were able to get me over this dyslexia issue and I got into the top 20% of my state, but what it taught me is the box doesn't work for me. As a matter of fact, it's never worked for me. So because of that, the answers have always been out of the box. And I think for me, I've always been looking for those solutions and those answers. I think that's why people that really had their back up against the wall tend to achieve amazing success if they succeed at all. And the reason for that is because nothing ever worked for them. So because of that, those boundaries that most people live in don't apply to them because it didn't work for them. And I think that was one of the most important things for my success in sales and my success in networking. And my, I mean, I'm listed as one of the top 50 speakers in the world. And gosh, I should be a data entry person in Melbourne, Australia, hoping nobody notices me, which is who I was when I was 18, all because I was unwilling to accept defeat. So I think that's always been my character. I think I lucked out on the glasses, but everything else was because I've always had that character of finding a solution and pushing through. Yeah. How much of it, You obviously you talked about the resilience of your mother, which I had a resilient mother as well and anybody else, whether you are a mother and you identify as being resilient or maybe you had, you can identify with that. And so definitely shout outs to all of the mothers out there that make a way. but. When you were starting to decide that you wanted to become great at whatever it is that you wanted to become, what was your environment like? 
was it were you always the kid who you had a couple other dreamers around you or did you feel like you were the outlier and you had to make a path on your own because other people didn't understand you so no one outside my family understood me. My, the one thing I did have was strong parenting. My mother was unwilling for me to accept defeat. As I said, she looked for those glasses that changed my life. But also she was always very emotionally supportive and it helped me understand that I could achieve anything I wanted. My father was very practical in his mind. And because of that, he always pushed me to think things through. And sometimes I remember coming home and going, this is never going to work. And he's like, well, if it didn't work, what would be the worst case scenario? Oh, well, that's really not so bad. Well, then go do it. Storm the torpedoes, charge forward. So I always had two really supportive parents and my sister was very supportive as well. But outside the family unit, I was really on my own. And you know, it was really happenstance that got me to where I am today. I remember when I graduated high school and two years ago, I had a reading speed of a sixth grader. I got into the top 20% of my state, but my family knew I was exhausted and I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Those years of being the slow kid, getting teased because I had funny glasses and bad acne. And there's a story in my first book where I talk about a basketball hit me in the face and a pimple bursting and how embarrassing that was. And it takes years to overcome those kind of mindset hurdles. But when I was 18, I remember my family all agreed that I would spend a year finding myself. Now, didn't come from a rich family. My dad broke his back 80 hours a week. So there was no way I was going to be out traveling Europe or sitting on in front of the couch, in front of the TV on the couch, I should say, watching Oprah, right? For me, I was going to go get a job. And I, I took a job at a real estate agency. And I, I know your background, well, your success story you know, comes from real estate. That was not my success story by any means. I literally took a job to be in the back office, not selling, doing data entry with a look on my face, like, don't speak to me. I'm here to find myself for the year. But what happened was three weeks into that job, my manager pulls me aside. He's like, Matt, I'm so sorry to tell you this. Head office has just decided to close down this premises. You're out of work. Now, this is Australia at Christmas time. So it's summer and Christmas break at the exact same time. People go on holidays on the 20th of December. They don't come back till the 15th or 20th of January. So no one's hiring. What employer hires before a month long break? The only jobs I could find, because I was not going back to tell my father three weeks in, I'm out of work. I pulled out the classifieds and the only people that were hiring were these things called commission only sales roles. Now, as an introverted guy that was scared of his own shadow, as you can imagine, not exactly what I wanted to do. I think the only thing that scared me more was disappointing my father. So because of that, I applied for all three jobs and I actually got all three interviews. So I thought maybe people see something in me that I didn't see in myself. Then I got all three jobs. My manager that I, for the job I did take, which was selling door-to-door -door telecommunications, quickly answered that. He goes, no, no, we just hire everyone. We throw mud up against the wall and we see what sticks, which sounds like a fun saying until you're the mud. Now, they hired 20 people of that training group. We got five days worth of product training and not a single second of sales training. And I get thrown on this road. It's called Sydney Road in Melbourne, Australia, which is basically a thousand junk stores on both sides and just told to go get go sell. I mean, I had no idea what even to say. I just had product training. So I took a deep breath and I walked in to the first door. And luckily, actually, I was politely told to leave. Then after that, I was less politely told to leave. Then I was sworn at. Then I was told to get a real job. That was always my favorite. This is the only job I could get. Door after door, this kept happening. You know, I hustled. And I think a lot of people at that point just give up, right? 18 of the 20 people in my training group did. But I just pushed through because the world had never worked for me, right? So I'm going to grind it out. I'm going to make it happen. Well, the 93rd door, I made my first sale. And I made about $70. But then I had my second realization for the day. I gotta do this again tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And while I was willing to hustle today, 
I was not willing to continue to hustle through it like everybody else tends to do. I mean, especially in entrepreneurship, we all want to grind it out, right? That right. was not okay. The year would have been terrible, but I also wasn't willing to quit, which is what 18 of my training group members did. So I decided that sales had to be a system. Now this is critical. It's not just about sales. It's about, I decided that the world wasn't working for me and I was unwilling to accept the boundaries that everybody else accepted as just, I've either got it or I don't. I decided it had to be a system. And then I went, how will I learn this system? Now, sure, there's some great books out by Brian Tracy and Zig Ziglar, people like that right then, but I had a reading speed of a sixth grader. So where, where could I learn it? I discovered YouTube. I typed in sales system and all these videos came out. So what I did, I spent eight hours practicing the night before on what next part of the system I was going to apply. And then I went out in the field the next day and I applied it for the next eight hours. So literally 16 hour days of application and practice. Weekends were 16 hours worth of practice. I'm sure it doesn't sound fun to anyone that's listening. It was horrible. I hated that period. But literally it would became 48 doors and then 31 doors and then 17 doors, then nine doors. And then I got it down to eventually making a sale every three doors. About six weeks in, my manager pulls me aside. And like, remember, I was the quiet kid. Like I'd hand my paperwork in downstairs and I'd go up and listen to all the boisterous salespeople talk about how tough the world was and you know how the market was changing. Well, my manager said, Matt, we're a little bit blown away by this, but we just got our national sales figures. And it turns out you're the number one salesperson in the company. I mean, this company employed thousands of people. They were the largest sales and marketing company in the Southern Hemisphere. More importantly than sales and great commissions, I went from terrified to sell, horrified of the idea that I even had to sell, to becoming the best in the company. And it took six weeks. So for a lot of people, are like, oh, I don't know if I can sell. I don't know if I can network. I don't know if I can public speak. Six weeks changed my life. You talk about your real estate story and how it's transformed your entire existence. What I find is most people aren't willing to think out of the box and then, other, and then even if they do, they're unwilling to put good energy focus behind it to get to the outcome. I was willing to not accept this, we ha we don't, I don't have the gift of gab, it's just going to be a horrible life for me. I was unwilling to accept that and then I put energy behind the solution that I found. I asked myself, what if? And then I applied my solution. Man, so much wisdom there. Talk to me about what is your, how, how did you make the transition? Because a lot of people right now, they say, oh my God, he said that he's the top 50 speaker in the world, or he's been listed, he's been acclaimed as one. I would love to be able to speak to get my message out there. At what point did you start to, hey, I'm not going to focus on selling anymore, and I'm going to focus on impacting the world. Do you remember that transition, and what was it like for you? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing that's really important, actually. So if you look at my sales career, I literally, the first year I got promoted about seven times. I mean, I got given a training group of my own of 20 people after I, I succeeded in sales. I don't know why people think just because you can sell, you can manage. Like everybody quit within 24 hours. But I went back to YouTube and I learned how to manage. And literally within 12 months, I've been promoted seven times. And then I, I decided that I wanted to start my own business. I started up a telecommunications company and literally within the, the first year, it turned over a million dollars. Year three, it was the, the largest B2B broker for cell phones in the country of Australia. And while that was great, I, I wasn't really happy. I felt like if, if I was to disappear from this earth tomorrow, who cares? I mean, okay, we save a little bit of money on a call rate, but 
Who really cares? What change am I making? So for me, I, look, I was in the fast forward a decade, I'd been responsible for five multi-million dollar success stories. But one of the things that I always tell people is I can create rapid growth out of anything, but there is nothing worse than rapid growth with, a customer, with customers you don't like in a business you can't stand. And I mm. found like I just kept running towards, I was proving to other people that I was worthy, but why? I wanted to prove to myself and to do that, I needed to find my passion and my mission. So actually when I, just before I turned 30, I traveled the, year for, uh, the, the world for a year. I spent three months in South America, three months in the US, three months in Europe. Every good story has got a girl, right? So I came back to the US instead of going to Asia for three months. And that kind of moved me to the US. But I decided when I got here that I wanted to help other people create rapid growth. Because I think there's something heroic about a person that has enough belief in themselves and their experience to go and start something of their own. The problem is they tend to gravitate to their functional skill and they think that being successful is just getting better at that. So it's what they know. And there, there are three things outside that allow them to be successful in my mind. It's differentiation, having what I call a unified message. So they don't get called a commodity. So when they go to networking events, somebody doesn't say, oh, I'm an accountant. They're like, oh, I've got an accountant. I don't need you. And they Oh, but I'm different. You know, I've got magic ruby slippers. That's terrible. So you don't want to do that. But then, you know, if you say you're a marketer, the best case scenario is, oh, I need marketing. How much do you cost? Also a bad conversation, right? Because they're still commoditizing you. So getting yourself out of that, then understanding you can't be everything to everyone. So niching down so you become the only logical choice and then building out the sales system. Well, what I, what I know to be true is if you can't be the clearest, you have to be the loudest. That's why people go to the networking events, go, do you want to buy from me? What about you? What about you? It's why people spam you on LinkedIn. They're doing podcast episodes every day. They have to work harder to be the loudest because they aren't the clearest. So I started to educate people on differentiation, niche marketing, and then sales systemization. And before, very similar to what you said, everyone sees me from stage speaking and says, that person there, he's just that wizard from sales. So I'd have to bring people, I have to bring myself down a peg. So I started to talk about my personal journey of, myself as an introvert and people would always come to me saying, Matt, I had no idea that I could succeed as an introvert. I just didn't know that was possible. And while I was mm. kind of speaking small time to get clients and to coach people, I then realized that I needed to have a much bigger presence on, on the stage because I mean, in truth, podcast interviews like this, and which I appreciate you allowing me to share to help so many introverts in the audience and on stage presentations. In truth, yes, I've got some great strategies. In truth, I can create systems that'll help people double their sales and, and network amazingly well and speak from stage and create businesses that revolve around them, their families and their life. But truthfully, Let's throw all that out the window for a second. The biggest thing that I love sharing is helping introverts realize that they can be amazing leaders. They can be amazing networkers, amazing salespeople, that they're not second-class citizens. And truthfully, speaking, and there are many forms of speaking, is the best way to be able to achieve that. Wow. What, as you still speak, do you feel like you have any fears or do you feel like you've conquered it? Because for a lot of you speak with such elegance and, and certain people would then go to say, it feels like I'll never get there. And even though I've heard his story and how he was an introvert, I couldn't see him at that point. And so for me right now, I can see myself at that point, And I know that I start to shake. What? Let's talk about first off, do you still have any fears? And then second, I, I want to ask the question of where does someone start to be able to work that muscle to where they can get themselves out there continuously again? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think there's, it really comes back. Let, let's take a full back step because I think what happens is most people start businesses based for practical reasons. 
And I'm always reminded of this Jim Carrey quote. Jay, for those people that don't know Jim Carrey, he's a famous comedian. And he won this pretty prestigious award at his university. And he, did, he had this speech and he said, you know, my father was an incredibly funny man. He could have been a famous comedian himself, but he decided to make the practical choice, the safe choice, and become an accountant instead. He said many years later, his father was laid off and the family had to do what they could to survive. He said, I learned a great deal from my father, but nothing more important than you can fail at what you don't want. So why not take a chance at what you love? Here's what's interesting about that. When I started to speak about rapid growth and started to focus my passion around the mission of helping the introverted service provider most specifically obtain rapid growth in their business, all of a sudden I noticed this supercharge of energy. And what I realized is that introverts, if we're not aligned with what we truly love, we really struggle to achieve that level of energy that an extrovert naturally has from stage. However, if we can tap into that source of energy, we come across as explosive. Now, it's so easy for us introverts to, prevent, uh, to project extroversion onto everyone that we see as successful. I remember when I first started speaking, I saw this guy from stage, his name was uh, Dan Walshmit. And I remember seeing him from stage and going, oh my gosh, one day I just hope to be like him. I mean, he's just got this natural ability. We got talking after, he's an introvert, by the way. When you think about people like Zig Ziglar, wouldn't we all want to be like him? Wow, another introvert. So we project extroversion on anyone that we see as successful. What I did, I actually have a podcast called The Introvert's Edge, and I interview Ivan Meisner, our, our, our joint friend is on that as well, where I interview what I call introverted titans where they talk about their own humble upbringings and their struggles as an introvert, and then talk about the systems that they found to be successful and what they call their introvert's edge to bring this dialogue to the fact that we actually have these amazing advantages. Now, for me, absolutely, when I go up on stage, I still get uncomfortable just before I go up. But what I learned is when I get on stage, if I start by telling a story, everything shifts. All of a sudden, I feel comfortable. Now, here's why. There's some science behind this. What happens is when I tell a story, it activates the reticular activating system of both my brain and the listener's brain. What that means is our brains start to synchronize, and it creates artificial rapport. I feel at ease, and all of a sudden, from that point onwards, you can't get me off the stage when I'm talking about what I'm passionate about. If you get me to talk about something I'm not passionate about, I couldn't get off stage fast enough. And this happens with networking as well. When I go to a networking event, I still have that, what if no one likes me concept. Now, in truth, I talk about 90% of networking success happens before I even go into the room. So because of that, I'm well prepared. I know what I'm going to say. I've actually already researched who goes to the event. By the way, in this digital world, if you're going to a networking event completely cold and you haven't checked out the Facebook page to see the profiles of the people in the photos that, have actually, that are actually going, you're gonna end up speaking to that person that sells insurance and you're gonna think it's a waste of time. But also, you're probably gonna walk in the room going, who am I gonna talk to? Oh, I recognize that person, I'll go speak to them and you'll hold on to them. In truth, that's not gonna be the solution you're looking for because you're going to a networking room to meet new people. So planning and preparation is always the most important thing. But some people are like, well, I don't really have a passion for what I do. You know, I, I did do the practical thing. A lot of times I find that's not actually true. I just talked about you know, meeting somebody that sells insurance. Uh, so let's use them as an example because this isn't a, a hate speech for insurance people. A lot of people get into insurance because they really want to help people. Right? I actually right. worked with a client, Nick, and you know, what happened was he, he said, anytime I go to a networking event, or imagine him speaking from stage, the same thing would happen. Anytime that I go and speak to someone, even though I make it all about them, 
Hey, Dream Builder, if you're anything like me, you have no idea how to come up with a quality logo or even a creative design. You know that quality is important, but it's not always the easiest to nail down, right? That's where Design Crowd comes in. Whether it's a logo, a website, book cover, or even a social media ad, they have a community of over 900,000 professional designers around the world ready to help solve your creative problem. Head on over to designcrowd.com forward slash dream nation to learn more. And just for being a part of the dream nation tribe, you're going to receive a special VIP offer when you sign up of up to $150 credit. Now, instead of waiting weeks for an agency to pitch you an idea, you'll be able to get a design of exactly what you need within just three days. So again, head on over to designcrowd.com forward slash dream nation and check it out. When I say that I sell insurance, it's like their eyes scream and they can't try, they're trying to figure out a way to get away from me. He said, but I really like to help people. He said, but so, but I can't sell it. It just makes me feel really uncomfortable. Well, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? If you say insurance and they all of a sudden scream, of course you're going to feel uncomfortable. I said, Nick, let me ask you, why is it that you got into insurance? He said, I told you, I want to help people. I said, all right, sure you do. Do you want to help people that make 50,000 or 250? His response, well, 250 because they can buy more insurance. I'm like, okay, no one wants to hear, I want you to buy from me because I'm dying to get a Bentley. So we need to make it a little bit more centered than that. Let me ask you a different question. What about the person that hustles through school to get into Harvard and then gets that C-level executive job, employs a whole bunch of people, makes 250,000 versus the person that starts a business, hustles to get it started, and then employs a bunch of people, makes about 250. Which one of those do you care about helping most? He said, obviously the small business owner. I said, well, why? I mean, the guy that got through Harvard, I mean, that's tough. I mean, good on him. He said, I just feel like they deserve it more. I'm like, explain that to me. He's like, well, I had a grandfather that started a business. He started a farm. And for years he worked, he gave up a lot of his personal life, his time away from family. He employed all these people. Then he got sick and he had to sell the business because he couldn't dedicate the time and he needed the financial resources to survive. He said he ended up living in this little shoebox apartment. He said, I watched my grandfather literally sit on the couch in front of the TV and die for the last 10 years of his life. I never want to see people have that problem. I said, well, Nick, what if we were to call you the hustle lifeguard? So when you you don't have to say you're insurance, you sell insurance, you say I'm the hustle lifeguard instead, i.e. unified message. Like I say, I'm the rapid growth guy. Then when they say, what is that, right? Because our brain wants to know what it is because we can't put it into a box. You then talk about your passion and mission for not letting anyone get stuck in these horrible life like your grandfather did or a story of someone else that you saved because of that. And your mission in life is to help these people. So do you see how that's going to make you feel more connected with what your life mission is, your passion? Do you feel like that would make things easier? He said, well, absolutely. So he started doing that at networking events and he started sharing these stories. And then all of a sudden people were more receptive. So he got less uncomfortable about going to networking events because he knew what to talk about. He knew how to provide value and he connected it with his passion. Now he's got a podcast. I mean, he speaks from stage. He doesn't feel uncomfortable with any of that. Now, sure, he might feel a little bit uncomfortable before he goes on, but he doesn't have that terror of, oh my gosh, I've got to go to a networking event. Oh my gosh, I've got to speak from stage. Because he's connected to what he's truly put on this earth to do. So those people that are watching or listening today that like, oh, well, you know, I, I, I've got all these nerves I don't think I'm going to be able to overcome. In truth, you know, don't find your passion in that woo-woo fairy way where you may not be able to connect it with the, the way of making money. In truth, everybody 
got a degree for a reason, moved into a career, you could have chosen anything, you chose this. We have to reconnect with the passion of why that is. And then all of a sudden, we'll be able to articulate our value in a different way. And a lot of those nerves, not all of them, but a lot of those nerves will dissipate. Now, as an introvert, it's still gonna kill your energy because in truth, we charge by being by ourselves. But it doesn't mean we can't do it and it doesn't mean we can't be phenomenal at it. It just means just like a kid that's had a ball at Disneyland, they're tired afterwards. Mm, so much wisdom there. And I love the story part of it. When you start off telling stories and you say, hey, you still get, you know, some butterflies. Do you try to use the story of someone else or do you use the story for yourself to try to connect the audience with you or try to get them something that's relatable in the beginning that might not be your journey? You know, it's interesting. When I first started in sales, I started to talk about me and it never worked that well. And then I started realizing that I could talk about other people, right? So, oh, I don't want to go with your telecommunications company because I had this bad experience in the past. And the company that I worked for had fixed the problem for that bad experience. So I'd share this story about someone else that had that bad experience, but decided to give it another chance because they made the decision to save money. It didn't work, but now they could have their cake and eat it too. And all of a sudden people would see themselves in that journey. I wasn't disagreeing with them. I wasn't saying I, I, I a thousand times, which never works. Instead, right. what I did is I told them, this story of someone just like them. Now, firstly, stories short circuit the logical mind, you speak directly to the emotional mind. So in a sales approach, when, you do, when you're having this dialogue with someone, if the logical mind's engaged, like, that'll work for me, that won't work for me, I don't have time for this, hang up the phone, or I'm done having this, I've gotta to go to the bar, the bathroom to get away from you. When you tell a story, it short circuits the logical mind, you speak directly to the emotional mind. The emotional mind literally just screams story time and it listens. And when it listens, it hears, all the facts in the story and assumes them as fact and then listens for the moral. And if the moral is we work with someone just like you and we got to an amazing outcome, the moral for them is, oh, I should give you a chance. And what you'll find is everything will shift. In networking events, same thing. When somebody asks me what I do, I use a hook by saying, I'm the rapid growth guy. People almost have a brain meltdown because they've never heard that before. So they ask, what exactly is that? And then I talk about my passion and mission and then go straight into a story about someone else like them who has a problem. Now, I know them because I've researched them beforehand. Or so wait, wait, wait. Let's replay this because some people, they hear this rapid growth guy. And so I want to ask you the question. I want to say, hey, Matthew, what is it that you do? Oh, I'm the rapid growth guy. Got it. Okay. Uh, what's that if you don't mind me asking? Well, you know how there's these amazing introverted service providers that start their own business because they want to make a great six-figure income doing what they love. But what they do is they find themselves in this constant hustle to find interested prospects, set themselves apart and make the sale. And they just kind of live in this world where they just think everyone only cares about one thing, price. And it kind of gets them to that point where they're kind of disheartened with everything that they do because they feel like people don't appreciate them. Do you know anyone like that? Uh, yeah, I know a couple of people like that. Yeah, so what I find is there are a couple of reasons for why that happens. And it's usually because they don't know how to differentiate, they don't know how to niche, and they don't know how to create a sales system. Actually, you know what? Let me give you an example. And then I'll go into a story of someone like Wendy and somebody that I helped. By doing that, again, it's not about me. I talk about my passion, my mission, why I'm struggling, and I embed that into the story as opposed to making it all about me. Now, one of the yeah. things that you'll find, you know, I do the same. When I started speaking from stage, the same thing happened. When I first started, it's funny how you make the same mistake in different disciplines. When I started my speech, my speaking career, I remember speaking from stage and I made the first story about me because as an introvert, I was like, I need people to know that I'm worth listening to before I tell them the value that I want to share with them, right? So, and I saw other speakers do that. 
And I remember this was this guy, Tom Singer. He's a CSP, he's a good friend of mine in Austin. And he said, Matt, I heard the word I 26 times before you started talking about someone else. He said, if you grab that story and take it to about two, two stories in, all of a sudden, people will feel like they got a better connection with you. So I did. I got up and I started talking about Wendy and how I took her from struggling to make $50 to $80 an hour to making $30,000. And I make it all about her and her achievement and her amazingness. Then I talk about niche marketing. I share another story. And then I use my story to bring me down a peg and say, most people think I've got this natural gift. I need you to know I don't. And I put up a terrible photo of me at my sister's wedding with terrible acne. And so people feel like they're connected with me. And then I, I tell one more story of a guy called Derek Lewis and how he used sales systems to change his life. As soon as I stopped making it about me until the point where I had people understand that I'm not a natural and they can do it too, and I brought myself down a peg as opposed to trying to get people to see me on a pedestal, everything shifted in my career. So it was the power of using other people's stories to make them the heroes in that journey. That's what changed everything for me. Yeah, no, that's so powerful. And there's book out there called The Heroes, Two Journeys, right? And I'm sure you probably read it in many other storytelling books. And it sounds like you're a phenomenal storyteller. You've done a great job on here. So it's so powerful that you say that. I think that's the takeaway that I have, and I'm sure someone else will, is to analyze and self be self-aware of how much you're trying to prep yourself up. Because we can all get better at this. We all want to show our worthiness, especially in the world of social media today, where everybody's putting out all of the most amazing things. But you can have a deeper and more meaningful connection even faster with someone else just by sharing other stories or other experiences that you've been a part of not that you have been that person and so I love the fact that you said that's very very powerful so let's talk a little bit about is there anything because you have a new book that just released right and I want to make sure that we give credit to this um, and I want to talk about this of what exactly is why did you create the book because you're already a successful speaker you've already been working with amazing service providers who are and probably some are not would identify with being an introvert but they see that you have the power to be able to help them so why did you create the book you know Firstly, I didn't want to create the book. I, so I think that's an interesting one. So the first book, the, the first book of mine on sales, which uh, is this one here, I almost didn't write it. What actually happened was when I got up on stage and I told my story, people kept telling me to come up and they kept coming up and saying, oh my gosh, I didn't know as an introvert that I could actually sell. Thank you for sharing that. So I started telling other people to write a book on introverted selling. And everyone said to me, Matt, no one's gonna buy a book on introverted selling. Sales introverts do not wanna learn how to sell. Plus, I don't wanna to admit to being introverted, right? Cause that's kind of a, a bad word, really. I don't wanna to admit to it. That's like falling on my, on my sword. I said, somebody's gotta write it. And for years I said this, and I ended up working with uh, Derek Lewis. And I took him, he was a client of mine. I took him from struggling to make any money. I mean, the poor guy made 27 in 2013, and he'd only made 12,000 by October of 2014 when we worked together. And I showed him how to use a sales system. And literally in, in two weeks, he made 40,000, six weeks, 80, by the end of the year, 120. And by the following year, he made just shy of 300,000. And what was interesting is he said to me, he's like, Matt, you've got to put this stuff in a book. And he, he's a ghostwriter. So in my head, I'm like, well, I've got a walk-in case study who wants to help me write a book. He's a believer. Sure, let's do it. I've got to stop talking about it. I've got to do it. Now, for me, writing a book, you remember my reading and spelling issues, right? So what he did is he'd send me 3,000 words after doing me, you know, all these interviews. And then I would send 5,000-odd words back 
as comments on that chapter. Now, I have to listen to it from text to speech. So I'm listening to a robot voice. It is agonizing. And I do that chapter by chapter by chapter. Then he'd send me 50,000 words and I'd write 35,000 words worth of notes back to send it to him. It is not a fun process, but the great upside was I like conversational based books. I like them to read more like novels. And because of that, when you're listening to a robot voice, if it doesn't sound absolutely like a conversation, oh, there's the problem, there's the problem. So the book reads more like a novel. And when we put it out, I mean, it sold over 40,000 copies. It's been translated into more than 10 languages. It's one, you know, HubSpot listed as one of the most highly rated sales books of all time. And Book Authority listed as the number two book ever written for introverts. So I didn't need to write a second one. And I was, the whole process was an ordeal. So I didn't really want to. But what happened was people kept saying to me, Matt, we're selling really effectively now, but we're not getting enough leads. And so how do we get more leads and how do we do that the right way? And I, I felt obligated to write a second one, but it didn't really push me over the edge. What happened was this kid, I, look, I got a phone call from a, a big fan of mine out of Buffalo, New York City. And he said, Matt, I have to tell you this. My son is, is, is a real introvert. I was talking hoodie over his head, walks around looking at people's shoes because he doesn't want to make eye contact. He said, he's always been really interested in reading people's business books. You know, so he and I, it's, it's one of the things we share together. He said, he found your book you know, that I'd been reading on the coffee table. He read your book on sales systemization and he went, you know, if Matt can systemize sales, maybe I can systemize the process of making friends. So he literally carried his, my book around with him at school. If you can imagine how embarrassing that was, he carried my book around at school for a month and he started the process of making friends. Well, he said literally within like a few months, he was all of a sudden starting conversations with some of the popular kids. All of a sudden he was actually friends with them. There's now a girl in the picture, the hoodie's off. His life has changed. And I went, you know what? I've got to put this book together, especially I just moved from Australia where I had a, a network I'd spent my life awkwardly fostering to the US where I knew no one. My wife, more introverted than me, we both moved into Austin, brand new city. And we decided that, you know, that was going to be our new life. Well, a year later, I was invited to events as one of the most connected people in the city. And now mm. I'm probably one of the most connected people on the planet, all from the networking process that I employed, which was a system that kept me separate from it, which means when somebody rejected me, I didn't feel bad because it was a system. I could use my analytical mind to perfect it like I had in sales in the past. And I just went, you know what? I need to write this book. So we decided a couple of years ago that we we're gonna do it. Things take a long time in the publishing world. And it finally, I mean, it just came out in January this year. And I'm just ecstatic. I mean, it's helping career professionals realize how to separate themselves and why they're not disadvantaged. It's helping small business owners, you know, attain rapid growth. And it's also helping them all realize that the goal of networking is not, this is you know, what I love to see happen. The secret to networking is not getting to go to lots more networking rooms. It's about being masterful at networking so you never have to go back to them. And the reason why mm. I say this is if you don't have to be the clearer, if you don't have to be the loudest, you don't have to go as often. You can also, if you're clear, you can put that message using the technology that's available out right now to network digitally. And more importantly, and, and this is key, you don't just go to networking events to get your next gig. You go to networking events to get these other two categories of people that I talk about. One is what I call a momentum partner. A momentum partner is the people that believe in what you do and you believe in what they do and you introduce them to people that will help their mission and their cause. And they do the same for you. Not because you signed an agreement, not because you calculate, you did this for me, I'll do this for you, but because you genuinely wanna help each other. And then the other category are the category of champions. I mean, Ivan Meisner, we've talked about a couple of times in this show. I mean, 
He has shared about my book maybe 14 times in the last two weeks. He's put me on his podcast again. He's published on his blog about my book. He doesn't do that for anyone. He does that for me because of this relationship we've fostered over years. Because he's my champion, he genuinely believes in what I do and he gives my work credibility. Those are the two categories, momentum partners and champions. Those are the key out of the hamster wheel of networking. So the reason why I wanted to create this book is not to show people how to be great at networking. It was to show people how to be great and how to do it in the right way so they didn't feel like they always had to go back to these things they found uncomfortable. What's interesting though, is most people love doing networking now when they're doing it the right way because it doesn't drain their energy as much now because it's not so emotional. They don't feel rejection and they actually really quite enjoy going. Now they don't want to go every weekend, but they do enjoy going. They love going to events, they love meeting people. And so face-to-face networking is amazing as long as you go in with a plan. And secondly, as long as you know who you're gonna speak to when you get there. So it feels more like a planned meeting. And you can do that at corporate events, you can do that at conferences, you can do that at a local meetup group. Because these days everyone registers with their LinkedIn profile or there's a photo on Facebook. You can always go and make it more like a pre-planned meeting. Wow, so much value. I'm excited to read that book. I'm excited to stay connected with you. I'm excited to keep learning from you. This has been a phenomenal conversation. The last question that I have for you is there's somebody out there that is very inspired by you, your journey, your wisdom, and they want to blaze a similar path to what you've done. And of course, they can read your blogs and your books and, and things like that, but they have that little voice in their head, and we've all had it before. And that little voice says that they're not strong enough they're not smart enough, or maybe they just don't have enough resources. What's the one thing that you would say to that person to get them to just take action? Yeah, absolutely. I I think the difference between a person that has those barriers, because I mean, we've talked about my barriers. I mean, you've talked about yours and the fact that you were homeless and the things that, the reasons for why you shouldn't succeed. You've got to stop accepting that as your reality. And you also have to understand that for you, all the lights aren't going to be green down that path. There are going to be a few red lights down that journey that you're going to have to deal with on that on on the way. But what I find is most people aren't willing to start until they see all green lights, and that's never going to be the case. For me, you know, I have I, you know, I have this belief that everything always works out for me. Now that's not because I just believe it to be true. It's because I know that if I exert energy and an unwillingness to give up and a focus on finding systems and processes, I can achieve anything. The people that don't have that mindset always don't succeed as much, I should say. I mean, they can luck on it, but they struggle to succeed because what level of effort are you going to put in if you already think there's a high chance you might fail? So you have to believe that you can succeed. And one of the, for the people that struggle with this, there's a quote that I'm going to fumble my way through because it's important that everybody knows this is it says in every minute of every day, we get to choose who we are and what we believe in. We get a second chance every second. What I mean by that, it doesn't mean change your religious beliefs or your political views on a dime. What it means is you decide whether or not the world's against you or for you. You decide whether you're an effect of what the world is doing to you or whether you're gonna take charge and learn the systems to succeed. You can make that choice to change today. Now, stories, remember, they short circuit your logical brain and speak directly to the emotional mind. So if you're telling yourself these stories of why you can't, they might be right because you're going to tell these stories to stop yourself trying. Henry Ford once said, if you think you can or if you think you can't, you're right. I would prefer to think that I can because I'm more likely to obtain success. 
Got it. Well, there you have it, Dream Nation. For anybody who wants to stay connected with you, we'll make sure that we put all of the links in our show notes. But for anybody who does want to stay directly connected with you, where can they find you at? Absolutely. So I share a ton of free videos out on LinkedIn, on YouTube. I'm repaying the favor for all the free videos that help me to get to where I am today. Uh, but also, I mean, yeah, you can type in Matthew Pollard in Google. I come up, I think I take up the first couple of pages. But for those people that you know, that feel like they need to overcome that adversity around networking and sales, my publisher hates me when I say this. You don't need to buy my book. You can download the first chapter of The Introvert's Edge on sales at theintrovertsedge.com. There, you'll be able to overcome in that first chapter your belief that you can sell. And I'll actually map out the seven-step process that you need to be able to sell. Like if you do nothing more than just grab what you currently say and put it into there, you'll realize there's some things that don't fit. Stop saying that to customers. It won't work. You'll realize there's some gaping holes and there's some, you know, some things out of order. Fix those. You'll double your sales in the next 60 days. And as I said, my new book, The Introvert's Edge to Networking, you can get at theintrovertsedge.com forward slash networking. You can download the first chapter again. And the first chapter alone will do the most important thing help you believe that it's possible for you and actually show you why you have an advantage. For me, that's the mission I'm on, to help introverts realize that they can. As a matter of fact, it's not a barrier, a wall to succeeding. It's actually the reason why they will succeed as long as they stop trying to be like extroverts because that's a recipe for failure. There you have it. But just as he said, Dream Nation, whether you believe you can or you can't, you're right. So believe you can and execute on your dream because if you don't, we all know that dream that you have will only merely be a fantasy. That's all for this one. We'll catch you on the next one. That's all we got for this episode. Thank you for sticking around. That truly means a lot to me. And hopefully that means that we delivered massive value on this one. If you haven't already, the way that you could say thank you to myself and the team is just by heading over to iTunes and leaving a review and a rating. That's what iTunes loves to see. That's how we get out there even more. And I would definitely, definitely be grateful for it. I know the team would as well. Do me a favor and head on over to dreamnationpodcast.com. That's where you're going to be able to find all of the resources that we talked about in today's episode, as well as more exclusive content. And you'll also be able to sign up to our email list where we have more exclusive content. And we always love to hear the feedback from you all because you're our tribe. So remember, in the dream we trust, we'll see you on the flip side.